Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Welcome back to the Wonder Mobility Podcast. I'm today with Julien Chamussy. He's the CEO and co-founder of Flugto. Julien, welcome. Yeah, thank you, Gunnar. I was very much looking forward to this conversation because I think you are one of the people in our industry who has probably the best overview of how different cities are doing, different operators in different cities. Uh, your company, Flugto, is an aggregator of data on shared mobility, and you say also Europe's leading aggregator. You bring out a report regularly that we're also reading over here to learn a little bit more about who's active and what's growing and which modes are growing and so on. And you have also more history in shared mobility. You were before uh, VP marketing for Vélib, the public bike sharing in Paris. Indeed, indeed. That was my, my, first, my first ride in the shared mobility industry. How does your current product work? How come you're sitting on so much data? Who's giving you the data? Why are they doing that? I mean, at, at the very beginning, nobody really was willing to give us the data I mean, we had to, to get it. I mean, we are in the shared mobility industry, but we are not really in the shared data industry. So when we started this business, I mean, uh, back in 2019, we used different sources for data. So basically, you have some data which is available through open source streams, mm -hmm. uh, mostly bike sharing services, uh, public bike sharing services, I would say. And then in some cities, you have some feeds which are open source for, for, for services. And then we, we started to scrape some data from websites or mobile applications from different, um, from different sources. And we tried to assemble some data, mostly for the, the biggest European cities like Paris, Berlin, Madrid, Barcelona, and so on. And this is how we started. I mean, um, at that time, the market was really bustling thanks to US and European scooter companies. But then we decided to, so we were really focused on scooters at the very beginning, but then we expanded to bikes, mopeds, and even cars. So right now we have a, a global overview of the shared mobility market, different types of vehicles. We are not into the riding, ride sharing, Uh, market, we're really focused for the moment on the what we, I would call the shared mobility without driver. I mean, when you are when you, the, the end user is the driver, we plan to expand to the perimeter of Flictual, but right now we are really focused on the shared mobility industry. So you, you are aggregating data on you call shared mobility without driver the vehicle sharing industry, different vehicle types. And you described her in the beginning when you got started, you were using some open source data and also scraping different websites to make it interesting. But today, what other sources have been added to your pool? Are some of the operators linked to you directly and uh, maybe use your API yeah. just to push sure. the data to you? Yeah. Today, we were a bit different. Of course, we've become a more conventional company. And uh, we have signed with different operators data license agreements that gives us an access to their GBFS or MDS API under specific conditions. But uh, thanks to that, we're able indeed to have a, a, a better overview of the market. So that's, uh, I mean, in most industries, food, cosmetics, you have uh, companies which are able to assess 
the, the market size and the evolution of the market. So usually it's companies like Nielsen or mm-hmm. GFK. And we do believe that in this industry, we also need to have someone, could be Fructo, could be somebody else, but which is able to give, uh, which is able to size the market, to, to, to evaluate the size of the market and it's dynamic. Because obviously we're into an industry where we need to, we still need to prove a lot of things to public stakeholders, cities, governments. And I think that what we're doing at Fructo is, is for the greater good of the industry because we are able to give more visibility to this industry, more visibility to the companies we're involved, talking about the impact on the traffic, the impact on the pollution, uh, the impact on, on, the, on the way people move in the city. So we are trying to push the agenda of this industry by sharing the most accurate and exhaustive data on the market. I think it's very beneficial for operators, also for suppliers like us, for different stakeholders to get access to this overall data, not just see your own. What are you seeing at the moment? How would you describe this industry from a high-level perspective? Yeah, this industry is growing mature at very fast pace. I mean, the, most of the companies that we're seeing right now I mean, in the streets of Paris, Berlin, Madrid, they did not exist like three or four years ago. Of course, the The bike, the, the, the sharing industry, the shared mobility industry did not start like three or four years ago. In the first, the pioneers were the, the companies which uh, developed and launched uh, bike sharing docks, docked or station-based bike sharing services like 15 or 20 years ago. But things really accelerated like three or four years ago, mostly thanks to private companies funded by VCs with deep pockets. And it really uh, gave a kick. It really gave a kick to the industry by bringing new business models, by bringing new customer experience, uh, by bringing together different types of vehicles, scooters, of course, but now scooters and bikes, scooters, bikes, and mopeds. Where I mean, 15 years ago, it was everything was about bikes. So it's it's really interesting to see the the rhythm, the pace, um, the rapid pace at which this industry is evolving. And I'm really looking forward to see what's going on, what's, what's going to happen in five or 10 years from, from, from now. And so how far have we come? Um, basically, you're saying it was small three, four years ago. There's a lot of um, VC investment. How many vehicles are in shared mobility in Europe at the moment? What's your guess? Like, What's the overall fleet size? We're estimating that right now, there are around 500,000 shared vehicles available in Europe. So mm-hmm. the, 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 the majority of these vehicles are bikes, station-based bikes, but scooters are really catching up. Um, so I would say that station-based bikes are, are making like 40, 40 to 45% of the total number of these vehicles. But scooters are really catching up very quickly and mopeds and cars are a bit behind. And the number of shared vehicles has doubled uh, during the last three years, especially thanks to the, the, the dynamism and, and the, the financial resources of the, the private free-floating operators. I mean, most of the growth in 2020 and 20, uh, came from companies like Tier, Dot, Voy, uh, Bolt. I mean, the rise in number of vehicles, but the rise in the ridership These companies are really the, the one who have initiated this, uh, this, uh, this increase during the last two years. 
It's very interesting when you put this data point out there, like roughly 500,000 shared vehicles. And then surprising probably to many people, would you say maybe 45% of those are station-based bikes? Yeah, the truth is that it's they are more street. I mean, station-based bikes have been deployed like in Paris, for example, it has been deployed in 27. So it's 15 years from now. Uh, you have the services available in Barcelona, in London, in most of the, the European capital, you have uh, an official, I would say, official public or semi-public bike sharing system. So there is a legacy, and usually these systems are quite big uh, as regards the number of vehicles available. Yes. But really, the growth during the last two years did not um, come from these services, but mostly from free-floating scooter and bike and mopeds too, uh, free-floating bikes, mopeds, and scooter services. How concentrated in terms of geography are these fleets? So do you see a handful of cities having kind of half the inventory? Or something? How, how concentrated exactly would you describe that? And who are the top cities? Yeah, obviously uh, the cities, the, the two cities with the, 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 the biggest numbers of vehicles are Paris and Berlin. So it's hard to tell who is number one, who is number two. It can vary from one quarter to another quarter. But basically, these two cities, Paris and Berlin, they have um, uh, all, um, both of them have more than 50,000 vehicles available in the streets. And with a quite balanced mix of different vehicles. So it's not all about scooters or all about bikes. There's an interesting mix of bikes, scooters, mopeds, and cars. Obviously, most of the biggest European capital have an a, a significant number of vehicles available. But the real interesting thing is now that we are seeing that uh, mid-sized cities are also now uh, welcoming free-floating services and also station-based bike-sharing services. So uh, I think there is a, there, a, a boost in, in, in the industry. And now all the cities, not only the major cities, but also mid-sized cities are interested by these types of new uh, mobility options. Can you talk a bit about these mid-sized cities? Like how big roughly are they? Can, are they? Can you give an example? And what kind of fleet would they typically have? Do they, like, yeah, numbers of vehicles, but also what kinds of vehicles? How do you see this segment? Well, we were talking of cities between 100,000 and I would say two, 250,000 inhabitants. Uh -huh. So cities like Bordeaux in France, for example. Mm -hmm. In Germany, you have a lot, a lot of cities, mid-sized cities, which, which, which now have their own shared mobility services. What would be a typical fleet size there today? And what kind of vehicles, if there is a common theme, do they typically yeah. have? Well, we are mostly talking of uh, light electric vehicles, so scooters and bikes. Uh, obviously, the, the, the capital needed to, to bring uh, uh, these vehicles into the cities is uh, less demanding than when you want to bring... Uh, cars. Uh, so, for example, in a city like Bordeaux, you have roughly 8,000 vehicles which are available. You have scooters, you have bikes, you have mopeds, you have a mix of everything. I mean, the, the city of Bordeaux is very, uh, has been very welcoming for operators, but you have the same in Rotterdam or, or other cities in Germany. The thing is that some of these cities have tried to launch their own station-based bike-sharing service, and it did not work, or maybe they did not have the resources to fund the services. And I would say that 
because of the COVID crisis, the, the finances, the, the financial resources of the Department of Transport of all these cities um, are a bit. Um, it's a, it's a it's a rough time for this uh, for this company. So they they don't have the financial resources to to finance themselves. So they are really interested when there are some private companies which are willing to come to the city and deploy some electric vehicles that you can rent on on, on demand. So I mean, yeah, for for them it's nearly free, and in sometimes sometimes they can even make some kind of some. I would not say some some profits because that's not the case, but they can make some money by 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 distributing pay, paying licenses to the operators. But usually, the the, the money that, that they got from this is being used to build parking zones, specific parking zones or specific lanes or bike lanes. So all in all, I think it's great because the citizens have the ability to use new transport modes. The city doesn't have to pay for that. And the, the money which is generated by this for the city can be used to develop new urban infrastructures like parking zones and, and bike lanes. So if it's correctly managed, I think that's a, a, a situation which is a, a, a very interesting for all the parties involved in this business. We haven't talked much about your business model yet, but um, this is kind of maybe a, a good segue into it because I can very much imagine there are hundreds of cities in Europe that are 100,000 to 250,000 people. And if they think about what to do here, it could be good to look at what some others have done, maybe what has worked, what hasn't worked, and they scaled it back. Do you have cities, for example, as clients who are getting advised by you or who are maybe buying some data to look at what other cities of yeah, similar indeed. sizes did? Yeah, indeed. The, the, it's very interesting to be able to compare. Of course, there, are no, there, there is no two identical cities, but Still, you can compare cities with the same number of inhabitants, with the same number of tourism. So, indeed, we have a database with more. Actually, we have a database with more than 100 European cities with very interesting metrics, daily daily data on these cities. And it could be it's very interesting for for cities that have no shared mobility services available yet to see what's going on in other cities from this with the same size. It's, it can be interesting, for example, if they want to launch a tender, if they want to evaluate the number of uh, operators that they should allow or the number of licenses they should grant to these operators. So, yeah, benchmarking different European cities is a great way to, to start thinking about how you, you can welcome this kind of services in your city. Can you give like a quick introduction to this? Uh, what's, from your observation, a minimum size of a city where it makes sense for them to probably try to attract vehicle sharing? And then what do you think is a good initial step into it? Like would they, if they go a tender route, what vehicles would they uh, aim for? And uh, what kind of system, what boundaries would they maybe set initially? What's the smallest type and how do they ideally approach it? Yeah, I mean, I don't have all the, the keys to answer the, this question. I mean, it, it could be interesting to, to add the question to operators. Uh, in Germany, for example, we're seeing that some operators are launching in very small cities, in Spain, in France, so. so. Uh, in this case, there are different criteria to be taken into account. Well, first, in some cases, the operators, they don't launch themselves the services. They use a franchise. So they, they, they are giving the, 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 the brand of the, from the software and the hardware to third party, which will be in charge of operating the service in a small city. That's something which is quite interesting 
them because using local players or you, 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 using uh, working with local players, it gives you some insights about the, the market and the, the, the way people are moving into the city. As regards your question about the minimal size of, the, of a city, um, well, right now, I, I, we have not seen, we have rarely seen uh, services launched in cities with less than 50,000 inhabitants. Mm-hmm. There are some counter examples, but mostly uh, I, I think the, the, the limit is 50,000. Of course, the, 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 the other things you need to take into account is the uh, public transport network. How good is it? How efficient is it? If they are, are there part of the cities which are not really being um, taken care of by this uh, local uh, public transportation system? There mm. could be some opportunities in, in, indeed to create some workaround or some, some ways to go from one part of the city to another part of the city in case there is no direct link, there is no direct bus or no direct tramway or no direct metro to do that. So, I mean, there isn't one recipe for that. Uh, each market is a bit different. But I think that the fact that now operators have increased significantly their, their operation, the way they operate the service, the way they change the batteries, the way they can repair and maintain their fleet, I think that financially, it's now viable for them to operate in smaller cities when before uh, they were only looking to deploy their services in the major European cities like Paris and Berlin. Now, they, are, they, have, they have improved the way they operate the service and it opens new opportunities in, in smaller cities, uh, mid-size and smaller cities. Interesting. So we talked about a geographic concentration of this shared vehicle fleet and you gave some examples of the very large markets like Paris and Berlin who might hold more than 20% of the total European fleet just in these two cities, and then also like the long tail of uh, smaller cities, typically 100 to 250,000 people, where you, in some cases you see even five or 8,000 vehicles deployed, like 8,000 in um, Bordeaux, and mm-hmm. you, think, you said it could go down as low as maybe 50,000. Let's talk a little bit about like concentration when it comes to operators, how that field changed. So total number of vehicles, but who are they owned or operated by? Where do you see the market going and that how many operators roughly are out there today and how does that evolve? Yeah, if we consider what I would call tier one operator on the European market, we're talking maybe 10 companies. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you define a tier one? Well, depending on the number of cities where they are and the number of vehicles that they, 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 they are operating, the funds they have raised, because obviously mm-hmm. that's still very... What's a, uh, what's a typical size of like fleet size for a tier one for you and your definition? How much do they have? Uh, it goes from twenty-five thousand to, I mean, to okay. sixty thousand vehicles. Yeah, but we, we're, of course, we, we are talking of, of um, we're talking of, uh, of uh, operators of light electric vehicles, so scooters, yeah, uh, bikes, and mo- the, mm-hmm. the, the the mass in the car sharing business, the 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 mass are completely different. I mean, because the 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 the, the acquisition cost of um, of of, uh, of a vehicle yeah. is much higher, so the, the economics are, are very different. Yeah, so the tier one, uh, I say there are like 10 companies in Europe. And, uh, well, we have seen the start of some con- concentration during the last month, and I guess there would be more concentration in the next month. Obviously, uh, the European company Wind has disappeared. Its assets has been sold to different companies, to 
to buy to tier. The US company Spin has decided to quit the open market and to sell its assets to tier. So yeah, that's the beginning of the concentration a movement that will, I think, go on in the next 18 or 24 months. But we're also seeing a very dynamic ecosystem of mid and small side operators, which can be very um, powerful on their own markets. So you have companies like Bitmobility in Italy. Uh, you have companies like Quick or Ride in the Nordics. Pony on the French uh, in, on the French market. Um, in Spain, you have uh, companies like Rebi, which is quite uh, dynamic. So, so the, the, the industry does not stop with these major operators that we, that we talk, uh, the tier one operators. There is also a very interesting ecosystem of tier two uh, operators, which can be very, which can be very um, um, active and, 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 and very competitive in local markets. Are you talking about kind of tier two as everyone else? So between zero and 25,000 vehicles or like in, in your thinking, do you talk more about a tier two mid-size and then a tier three, which is really maybe just for one, yeah, one we, campus, we, one we, university? We also, yeah, we, we also have a tier three indeed. Uh, how in this how case, big is the tier three? How many vehicles? Tier three, we're talking of operators with less than 5,000 vehicles. Less than 5,000 is already tier three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then five to twenty-five thousand, and you said there are about maybe ten companies in Europe who are more than twenty-five thousand. How many operators do you estimate are there of the tier two and three in Europe? Uh, good question. Uh, I don't. Want, uh, I, I would say that for the tier two, we're talking of maybe twenty, twenty-five, twenty, twenty companies, some, something mm -hmm. like that. And tier three, we're talking of um, thirty, thirty-five companies. Yeah. Okay. So local players. Usually they are active in one or maybe two, one, two or three cities, uh, and they have not really expanded uh, beyond their 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 home country. Let's say, but you have very uh, you have, you have very strong local players there in Turkey, in uh, Eastern Europe, in Great Britain and Ireland. You have some local players. Say they are competing with the the the, the, the biggest uh, the biggest players with their with their own arms, I would say, uh, with their own weapons. The first thing that they have is the, their knowledge of the local market, their knowledge of the, of the uh, local um, public stakeholders. And for some of them, they have history in logistics or delivery. So they have the warehouse, they have the people who can maintain the fleet and, and the mechanics. So they don't start from zero. I mean, usually they, they have some assets that they can leverage to launch uh, the services. So usually they have two options. They can launch their own service, or maybe they can work, uh, as I mentioned before, they can work with a, a big player that will, uh, with some kind of franchise, mod uh, franchise model. Mm -hmm. Do you also look at your data in trying to put these activities of shared mobility operators in perspective with traffic overall? Like basically, if you say probably... Berlin, Paris might be about 50,000 shared vehicles. How many trips do they make per day and how many trips are taking place in the city? Or was like, what market share in terms of trips in the city does this industry have now? You say it's been very dynamic in the last three, four years. And like the growth numbers, when you come from, you said it has doubled in the last three years, number of vehicles to 500,000. But how 
big of an impact does it have yet on the overall in the cities? Do you sometimes try to put this in perspective as well? Yeah, we, we're not doing that. We're not doing that systematically. We, we are trying to, I mean, that's one of the goals for in 2022 and 2023 mm-hmm. is to be able to, to benchmark the ridership of these share mobility services with the total number of trips which are being made by with individual cars, individual uh, bikes and scooters and public transportation. It's, it's kind of complicated. It's, it's a bit complicated, but we, we have some interesting data source that we can, we can use and we are, I'm optimistic that we should be able to, to be able to calculate the, what I call the model share of mm-hmm. shared mobility services by the end of 2022. I mean, we, we, we cannot overestimate this for the moment. Um, for example, in Paris, if you take shared mobility, shared bikes, shared scooters, shared mopeds, we're talking roughly of between 150,000 big rides per day to maybe 250,000 rides per day, depending on the weather, depending on the seasonality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then every day in the Paris greater area, you have 8 million people who are using public transportation to move from their home to their place of work or, or where they study. So it's still very two to three uh, percent small. Yeah, it's it's still very small compared to. So obviously, shared services are not here to replace the big transportation. That's not the case. But um, it could be a great complement to this, and it can have a, a, an impact on the on the way the people are, are using public transportation. Uh, maybe to to go from their home to the next train station or to the next tramway station using a shared bike or using a shared scooter and then taking the tra- tram, taking the bus, taking the subway. And then when they arrive at the destiny, at the, the, the station, then they can use again, they can walk or maybe they can use it. So I, I don't think shared mobility is, uh, is here to replace public transportation because it doesn't, the mass doesn't work. I mean, uh, but I see a lot of potential in the synergies that we can create between shared mobility operators and public transport operators. And by the way, we, we, uh, we are working with companies like SNCF, which is a French railway company. We're mm-hmm. working with um, uh, Deutsche Bahn, providing them with data on the way people are using shared mobility services to go to a train station or to leave a train station. And I mean, railway companies are really very interesting in this and because they are ready to, they're willing to, to do what's necessary to provide with their end users some kind of a, a, a better journey experience of, uh, uh, by providing maybe parking zones within the stations or by selling combined tickets with uh, public transport and a shared vehicle. Uh, they really want, they are really willing to 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 create some synergies with shared mobility because they, they, that's the best way to promote public transportation by combining it with the, the shared mobility services. Everybody in new mobility is always busy explaining how these services are not supposed to replace public transport, but rather the private car. So to put that into perspective, if you maybe happen to know <laughs> the number, how many cars are there in Paris, roughly? I guess Berlin is like 2 million on 50,000. Um, I, I don't know how many cars in Paris, but I can tell you that only 30% of the, Paris and, the people who live in Paris own their uh, car. Only yeah. 30%. And 70% of the Paris. people living in Paris are not using. But so, okay. so we, these people, when they use a scooter or a bike, 
um, they are not. It's uh, it's hard to say that that we're replacing a, a, a car, a trip with a car, uh, with a trip with a scooter as a bike, because that's mm. not the truth. I mean, obviously, that's not the truth. The main challenge, for example, in Paris, is to have the people who are living in the suburbs of Paris to ditch the car and to use instead different transportation modes. And that's where the real challenge is. For the people who are really living in the city center, I mean, honestly, shared mobility services are not replacing car trips. They are replacing maybe people walking or people using public transportation. But that's okay. I mean, in some cases in Paris, public transportation is really packed, is really crowded. So if we have some people, we can use maybe young people or, or we can use a, a, a bus instead of using or, or, or riding in a bus or in a, in a metro, that's fine. I mean, that's fine. But also can afford it, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we can two afford it, I mean, physically uh, and... Yeah. yeah, also physically, it's true. Active and physically, physically really and, and, and financially. Um, two topics but, but, that... I mean, some services some service are yeah. not really expensive. I mean, some, some, I mean the, 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 the station-based bike sharing services usually are not very expensive. So it's just... That's a, right. Even uh, also sometimes publicly funded, no? also, um, yeah, for example, Hamburg, where we are based, other German cities, sometimes the first 30 minutes are for free on the sharing bikes and so on. Um, two topics that maybe you also have insights on based on the data and all your industry work that are very yeah, top of mind now for many people, for operators and, and also for suppliers like us is, on the one hand, the question of aggregators. Basically, an old topic, um, some conceptually makes a lot of sense. First generation didn't really maybe have the traction that they were hoping for. But now there are cases where, okay, operators agree to show more and more their inventory on certain other platforms. How do you, do you have any insights based on your data on how people are booking these services? And do you see aggregators becoming a major path to a vehicle, or is that not really necessary? Yeah, I, I think that right now, I mean, the, the percentage of rides which, which are being booked and paid through third-party applications like CityMapper, FreeNow, um, it's not really significant. I mean, most of the rides are paid and booked through the apps of the, the operators. There are different, yep. several reasons for that. First, Do you first have any that, numbers, by the way, on that that you couldn't share? No, I have some numbers for? from yeah. I would say around five percent of the of the of the of the rides are being booked and paid through third-party apps across Europe. If we average everything out, probably five percent of the shared rides are booked through an aggregator at the moment. Yeah, you think that's quickly rising, or it's been more or less like this for some time? I think it's gonna. It should. It should increase in the next month for different reasons. Okay. And I do believe that there is a room for that. Uh, I mean, the thing is that most of the operators are young companies. I mean, when we're talking of scooter sharing operators or bike sharing operators, this we're talking of companies that did not exist like four or five years ago. They have invested a lot in marketing to recruit customers and to onboard them in their app with a specific customer journey. So they they do cherish their user base. And they are really willing to keep on like this by, you know, uh, recruiting more customers. So they were not really interested or they were, they were a bit, um, uh, you know, uh, afraid of letting third-party apps recruit customers that would use their services uh, without downloading their own apps. 
I think some uh, some of the I think that some of the operators have now changed their mind on this, and they are more willing to work in collaboration with aggregators because they are seeing that there is an, an untapped potential of users that can be attracted by this kind of uh, aggregators. And you, if you don't live in Paris and you, you, you're living in other cities in France or maybe you're living in Brussels or, or, and you just want to go to Paris for the weekend or some vacation, short-term vacation, then when you arrive in Paris, I guess it could be very easy and handy for you to book um, a, a bike or to book a scooter or maybe to book a, a ride share using the app of your airline company or using the, 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 the app of the company which, which is providing you with uh, accommodation. So it could be, uh, it could be some booking.com, it could be Accor Hotel, maybe uh, the guys from Airbnb. So I think that they, they, in, in, in the next months, we will see more um, companies working in the tourism, hospitality, and transports that will integrate shared mobility services into their app. And of course, to make this work, it needs to be a win-win for situation for all the parties. So it means that the aggregators, they need to get a decent revenue share on the ride that they generate. And then the operators, they, they need to see the impact of, of this additional uh, revenue and users that they can get through third-party apps. My bet, my bet is that aggregators uh, like free now, so combining ride sharing and micro mobility, and, and well, pure player, of course, like City Mapper, Move It, and in some cases also businesses in the tourism industry and the hospitality industry will be the, 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 the main uh, generator of rides from third party apps. And of course, also railway companies or public transport companies, if they're able to combine tickets, including public transport and shared mobility services. I see less potential in the mass applications which are developed by cities. I, I don't see the potential in this, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, that's just my bet. So. Mm -hmm. The other kind of strategic topic that many people are struggling with is seasonality that I think you can also probably read much about in your data. For light electric vehicles, which has been kind of the focus of the discussion, how bad is it and where is it most pronounced, but then maybe surprisingly not? Are you seeing some operators maybe coping with that better than others in terms of their utilization? Yeah, there is a direct and very clear impact on the weather conditions on the ridership of the services. I mean, it's very, very clear. When you analyze the ridership on, on one specific day, you can spot the timing when, when it rains or, or it's very, very clear. If you look after the, uh, I mean, the annual seasonality, indeed, uh, the impact on Nordic countries and, and is quite clear. Uh, but How much, for example, like what's the typical drop between the peak month well, and the lowest in, in, month. In some cities, in some cities, in some markets, I mean, the, the services are just closed during the win, during the winter season. I mean, because it's not, it, it could be dangerous or it can be, it's, it's not suitable for riding. So in many cities in the Nordics and in Eastern Europe, I mean, the services are being closed from November to March, April. So 
the, the service only operated half of the year. In some markets, they are able to change a bit the hardware by maybe providing specific tires or specific uh, equipment so that this can be used in the winter season. But I mean, honestly, there is not so much that can be done uh, in this. Uh, the peak days of uh, shared mobility are usually in June, July, September, October, rainy days. Of course, the, the, the duration of the day is also a, a, a very important factor. I mean, if you have sunlight from 7 in the morning to 9 in the evening, of course, there are more opportunities to ride a, a shared bike or a shared scooter or a shared moped than when it's just uh, it's dark uh, most of the day. So, unfortunately, for the moment, I haven't, I haven't, I, I've seen some some measures that can be taken by operators in the Nordics. But in general, I would say that there is nothing you, that much you can do to limit the, 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 the decrease in ridership due to the weather or due to the, or to the season. And what have you seen in the data in terms of how companies are benefiting from longer-term rentals, this kind of extension into daily rentals, maybe monthly subscriptions. I'm not sure if that shows up in your data somehow, um, if that's like available, but if it is, how big do you think it is for some of the players? And do you see any differences between yeah, sizes of cities or geographies? We're not monitoring this uh, long-term rental services yet. We are very interested and we're trying to find a way to, to get that out of this because it I mean, uh, we're seeing a lot of services like that available in Paris, Berlin, and for the moment, most in, in, in mostly in the major European cities. Services like Dance, Swapfeeds, Bedigo, and so uh, and and you have services available for all the people, and then you have the same thing for specific needs like delivery people working in the delivery business. So you also have offers for for the riders which are working for food delivery or, or quick commerce delivery. I think that this. It, it, I don't see. I don't think that they're really competing. I think that one can help one business can help another. Some people may first ride a bike using a, a short-term rental service like a, a free-floating bike or free-floating scooter, and then if they're convinced that it's a good way to move uh, in the city, they can they, they can buy their own bike or they can buy their own scooter or they can use some kind of long long-term rental uh, services like Swapfeeds or, or, or Dance. So I think that all these um, services are not really competing one against each other. I think it creates an interesting ecosystem uh, with different options. And as for myself, I mean, I ride my own bike on some days and when and then for a different reason, I'm going to use Believe or the, the, the bike ring or maybe I'm going to use a bike from Dot or from Lime. So, I mean, if you consider that these people, they don't own their, their, their a car. They, they, they are open to many different options. And depending on the day, depending on the weather, depending on the use they have, is it for professional use? Is it for leisure? Are we talking of a ride Monday morning at 8? Are we talking of a ride Saturday evening at 11? Depending on this, I mean, I think that there is a great potential for all the services. And, and I, don't think, I don't think they are competing one against each other. What's the, you're working on data, also other people's um, data, basically trying to find interesting insights. What's the set of data related to mobility that you 
would like to get your hands on, but it's maybe not available at the moment that you would be most curious about? Uh, well, there's, there is something that we're trying to work on is to calculate the impacts of all the services on CO2 emission. I think mm -hmm. that's something that's very interesting for all the players on the market. We all want to, to highlight the, 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 the positive impact that these services can have on, on CO2 emission. I think it still needs to be very calculated very precisely. We are seeing some communication from different operators through uh, press releases, or, or uh, which are, in my opinion, a bit optimistic about the impact on CO2 emission. It's a bit more complex than that because you just cannot calculate that one people using a bike has saved X grams of CO2 because uh, in, if he had because he has been using a bike instead of a car, because that's not really the way it works. Most of the people, as we mentioned before, are not replacing car trips with shared mobility services. So it's a bit, a bit more complex. But, but I think that's something that I really want to, to investigate in 2022, to be able to, to consider the, the, the whole ecosystem of uh, the, the shared mobility industry, the, the emissions um, related to the, 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 the manufacturing of the vehicle, the emissions related to the operations of the, of the channel mobility operators, and then what you can save, the, the, the emission that you can save by using these services instead of something else. It's a bit, it's, the equation is a bit complex, but if we are able to crack this, I think it would be a major breakthrough. Would be because, I mean, right now, all the European cities are looking to reduce their CO2 emissions, but there are they are lacking some tools to, to, to measure that. Mm. So we want to do our part in this, so about shared mobility. So I think by the end of 22, we will come up with, with a, the data set, including uh, CO2 emissions in different urban cities. And maybe a different way is asking a related question. What's something that you found in your data in the last months or last year um, that was actually surprising to you, even coming from the industry and knowing already a lot, but that came as a surprise that you also didn't expect? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were already uh, too deep uh, and yeah, you already yeah. knew everything <laughs> before <laughs> roughly the direction. No, no, no. I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to find something funny or something uh, that... Um, uh, and I've been, I've been thinking about this uh, when I was uh, working on this and I did not found anything really in out of the box or, or unusual or funny or something that I bet that there are many people who work uh, in new mobility who actually would be totally wrong if they if you ask them okay make a guess like what percent <laughs> of the total fleet is in station based bikes like you said in the very beginning you give the yeah. high level view 500,000 maybe 45% because it's not what we typically deal with with the newer operators they don't typically go into this but Because of the legacy systems in the city, that's where so much of the of the shared mobility of today actually currently is, right? And and that, that was actually at least for me actually a little bit surprising because we are mostly also dealing with the free floating cases. Yeah, yeah, but we should not underestimate the legacy of the station based bike sharing services, which still provide. I mean, as regard the number of rides, the ridership, they they are still leading the market. As regards the revenue, it's a different story because indeed these services are priced uh, very are very affordable compared to free floating services. 
So uh, the, the, the revenues they generate are, are, are much less than the free-floating services. But I mean, it's two different business models. It's not the same story and it's not funded the same way. I mean, this bike sharing, station-based bike sharing services are mostly subsidized. And this is what makes them very affordable. All right. Julia, uh, thank you for helping us to zoom out a little bit and giving us this walk through the industry, different cities in Europe, different players, tier one, two, three, and how you see them split up and how they are booked. Aggregate are still very small. It's very interesting to be able to take a step back and benefit from kind of a lot of this data instead of just taking one perspective of one of the individual operators. I hope you can do in this year, uh, like what's most curious to you now in terms of CO2 measurement also. I think that would be, in fact, really interesting. There's a lot of different information out there and it's very hard to know actually for sure, especially when you, like you alluded to kind of a circular economy approach, want to talk not just the trip itself, but also the servicing that goes into it, maybe the vehicle. So thanks a lot for taking this time out of your day for us today. Thank you, Gunnar. Thank you for inviting me in this podcast. And uh, of course, if you want to know more about the Shell Mobility industry, especially in Europe, you can connect to our website or download the European Shell Mobility Index that we release every quarter. So that's uh, the best source information that you can find in the Shell Mobility industry. Thanks. Thank again. you. Bye. Bye-bye.